Good morning, Destiny Church, Edinburgh. Really is a privilege to be sharing with you this morning. And I'd like to start by telling you a story from a couple who are connected to the ministry of Open Doors. The husband used to be a wealthy Muslim businessman and he was respected in his community. They had everything the world had to offer. And uh, and yet inside his soul, deep down, there was something missing. There was this itch that he couldn't scratch. And in his desperation, one day he got on his knees and he cried out to his God and said, God, if you are real, I need you to come and visit me. It's a really random, radical thing to pray. But sure enough, when he got home from work that day, there was a man in his house. And when he asked who the man was, the reply came that it was Jesus. And they had a long conversation. A little while later, his wife came home, found him alone by this point, but dazed and excited and couldn't really contain himself. And when she asked what had happened, he shared about the fact of what he'd done and what he prayed and that Jesus came. And he said this, he said, I'm now a follower of Jesus. She was furious. She was fizzing mad, his wife. Because why? Because she knew that they couldn't continue to be wealthy and respected if they were Christians because of the, where, the context where they lived. To convert to Christianity was illegal for them. And so they talked for a while. And at the end of the conversation, he said this to her. He said, listen, if you ask Jesus to come, he'll come. The next morning, he got up to go to work and he noticed in the yard a, 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 a letter nailed to the tree. It's from his wife. And it simply said, Jesus, my husband said, if I ask you to come, you will come. So please, will you come? A couple of days later, the husband got home from work to find his wife in a bit of a mess. She'd been crying and he wondered what on earth had happened. And she smiled and said, he came. Jesus came to me too. And she said, I am now a follower. We're going to follow him together. And it's an incredible story, literally incredible, but true story. And now this couple are serving God. They are leading a Muslim background believer church. That's a church of people who've converted from Islam to Christianity. It's a very dangerous thing to do. And actually, they've lost their wealth. They've lost the respect of their community. They've lost so many things, things that the world would consider to be precious and important. They've let go of all of those things. And they're now leading this church and serving God. And they are blessed and happy and enjoying wonderful things of God, not the things of the world. And that story, I love that story. And I love it because it um, it speaks of uh, looking beyond the things of this life, the things that can't satisfy us. This couple have set their heart and their desires on something lasting, something eternal. And actually that story is really fitting with what Pastor Peter has asked me to share about with you this morning. I'd like to continue where he left off. And if you cast your minds back a week ago, uh, you'll remember that a pastor was sharing from Matthew chapter 5, these first few verses, where Jesus shares these seven keys to happiness. These seven keys to being blessed. And I'm not going to go through them all this morning, but in true Jesus style, these are not the kind of things that you would expect on a list to find happiness. And this morning we're going to move on to verse 10, verses 10 to 12, which say this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed 
are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, <laughs> rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. This one for me is arguably out of all the keys, the most surprising statement. Jesus is saying you're blessed, you're happy when people insult you and persecute you and speak evil of you. How can that be right? That just seems topsy-turvy and back to front, doesn't it? And yet I'm here to tell you this morning that in my role I get to meet persecuted Christians. And of all the people I've ever met on earth, I think some of the most joyful and thankful and godly people I've ever met are Christians who have been through terrible persecution, those things that Jesus described, and have come through the other side, things that you would think make, would make them angry and bitter with God or with the world, and yet there's this beautiful blessing on their lives. A couple of summers ago, there was a lady from North Korea called Hewu came over to speak in our devotions, and then we took her to Spring Harvest and New Wine. She shared on the main stages there, and her story was... Um, it, it was remarkable. Uh, she'd grown up in North Korea, experienced the famine of the 90s, lost her daughter to starvation. Her husband had escaped to China. He became a Christian there, but then got caught and put back into North Korea, sent into a labour camp and died in one of these camps. So here's He Wu, just not having anything left in life. But she said that when she found out he'd become a Christian, she was surprised, but then there was something deep down inside her that sensed that he'd found the truth. So she set out on her own journey, got into China and found a secret Chinese underground church. And there she made a decision to follow Jesus. Sadly, here we was also captured like her husband and put back into North Korea. And her story, the, remark, the, the kind of part of the story that, that really impacted the people as she shared and impacted on me was this part when she talks about life inside this labour camp. I don't know what you know about North Korea, but right now we're estimating there are around 50,000 Christians inside these labour camps. It's illegal to be a Christian in North Korea. If you're caught with a Bible or suspected to be a Christian, not only will you be put in one of these camps, but three generations of your family. Your whole, anybody who knows you is associated with also receive the same punishment. And here we describe what it was like in these camps. She was treated awfully, um, even tortured. Just this tiny little gentle woman, almost starved to death with the rations that they were given. But she describes how she felt God challenging her to share her faith inside the camp. Knowing it was a death sentence if she was caught, she wrestled with it. Eventually said, God, I'll do it if you tell me who it's safe to talk to. And so she would then keep half of her rice rations Back. She would eat half of them and then keep the other half and she would start to give it out to the ladies round about her. And as she gained their trust and was able to share the good news of Jesus with them, five of these ladies came to know Jesus. Here we planted a church inside one of the most dangerous places on earth. But how do you disciple people inside a North Korean prison labour camp? She realised that the guards wouldn't dare go into the filthy, stinking, foul pit latrine toilet block. So there, in that awful place, here we would kneel with her five new friends and they would do church together. Very different to how we're doing it this morning. And she would recite scripture. They would whisper their worship. 
And you would think that uh, that here we're going through all of this would would be bitter, would be angry. And yet as she recalled her story, as she shared it at these conferences, she would cry at a certain point in her story. But it wouldn't be at the point where she was talking about the memory of losing her family or the awful pain that she had to go through. It was the one point of the story that she would always cry was when she would talk about kneeling in those foul toilets and the presence of God coming so strong and she said she would hear bones cracking back into place that had been broken by the guards. But it's the last part of Hewu's story I want to share this morning. And it's this, that as she came to leave two weeks later, as she'd been around all of these churches and conferences, Eddie Lau, my friend Eddie, took her to the airport and he said this, he said, Hewu, and it was unusual for Eddie to say something like this, but he said, have you got something from God that you feel you need to say to me? She looked at him and she said this, she said, Eddie, you need to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. Wow. Wow. Of all the people in the world to give that advice, that's pretty incredible. And he would recall how she would get a camera out every meal and take a photo of the food. And she would just put a like, drink in her mouth and let it savour on her tongue before she smothered it. This woman who had experienced this awful things not only has remained faithful to Jesus, but she lives her life with this beautiful spirit of thankfulness. Amazing. And, uh, and one of the days, Hewu shared that um, when her pain was so bad after she'd been in with the guards and she came back to her cell, she thought she was going to die this particular day. And she got back into her cell and she said that, I heard the voice of God say these words to me. Hewu, my daughter, Today you walked on water. What an incredible lady. And yet she doesn't consider herself to be a hero, not even a courageous Christian. Simply somebody who's made a decision to trust Jesus no matter what. And you know, I consider Hewu to be more blessed than probably almost any other person that I've met. And it's very likely, unlikely that me and you are going to have to go through anything like Hewu. In fact, it's very unlikely that many Christians across the world are going to have to go through that. But I do want to talk just briefly this morning about what our church family, our persecuted brothers and sisters are going through in the year 2020 in our world right now. And on your screen is a map. It's a map that we call the Open Doors World Watch List. And it simply maps the 50 countries in the world where it is most difficult and dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. This map in 2020 represents 260 million Christians who are suffering at least high levels of persecution. You'll notice the colours on the map, the red ones, that, those are the 11 countries where persecution is most extreme. Just to give you context of how fast, by the way, persecution is growing, it was only six years ago that there was one red country on the map. You'll notice countries there that you recognise. China. Persecution is increasing rapidly in China over the last two or three years. Do you know that no under 18s are now allowed in, to do any religious activity in China? Or they have their right to education and travel removed from them. Do you know that every church that's now allowed in China has to have CCTV cameras inside and out? Pastors are being monitored and if they're not towing the strict party line of the Communist Party, they're being arrested church in China is having to go back underground. 
you'll notice there number one North Korea we've talked about here we're estimating that there are two to four hundred thousand secret believers there who are living secret lives following Jesus but the church is still growing more buried Bibles in North Korea than anywhere else in the world India number 10 can you believe the largest democracy in the world is in the top 10 of the world watch list as a wing of the Hindu extremist ruling party have made it their mission to eliminate Christianity from India. And we're now getting distressing reports day after day of Christians in India being thrown out of the village, attacked. Even over this lockdown period, Christians killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I could go on, but time won't allow me to go through these countries on the map. But I will say that persecution of God's people is getting worse in almost every country for lots of different reasons. The name of Jesus Christ has never been hated more. And you could look at that map and think, wow, that's a pretty depressing picture. But you know what? The persecuted church is one of the most hope-filled things on the planet. Because it's where light breaks through darkness. It's where faith overcomes fear. Stories of God's grace being present in suffering. And across that map, in what seems like the most unlikely of circumstances and places, courageous faith is being demonstrated day after day by our brothers and sisters. And you know, it's our family. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 tells us that when one part of the body suffers, all of us feel it. We all suffer. And when one rejoices, we rejoice with them. You know, the more I meet persecuted Christians, the more I realise not only do they need us, and partly I'm here this morning to tell you that your persecuted family needs you, but not only do they need us, I think we've got so much to learn from them. Jesus is so right when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Not blessed, not happy in the way that the world would see blessed and happiness. But when faced with the ultimate decision, God's will for my life or my will for my life. When they face that decision, do I go through life alone trying to find where I'm looking for or, or do I trust Jesus? They've made the decision that they're going to trust Jesus no matter what. And they, Do you know what they say? They say things like this. Do you know it costs for us to follow Jesus? There's sometimes pain. We wouldn't choose this road for ourselves if we had the choice, but we have chosen to trust in God. And no matter what the cost, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Our persecuted church family have so much to teach us. And my request this morning is that you would open up your heart to them. We're going to watch just a short video that will just tell us a little bit more about what's going on in some of those countries. Here it is. What would you do if your faith put you in danger? If it meant facing insults and abuse, not getting a job or education, being assaulted, imprisoned, even killed? Hundreds of millions of Christians live in countries where choosing to follow Jesus means danger and persecution. And these are the five countries where their faith costs the most. Number five, Pakistan where Christians can be falsely accused of blasphemy, 
Christians are denied education and work opportunities. Churches are bombed. Christians are jailed on false charges. But Pakistani Christians are determined to meet to worship. Number four, Libya, where there are only some 150 Libyan Christians. Churches for Libyans are forbidden. Christian migrants are targets, executed by militants or sold into slavery. But Libyans are coming to Christ through TV, radio and web. Number three, Somalia, where Christians can be killed on the spot. All citizens are assumed to be Muslims. Militant groups want to eradicate all Christians. Owning a Bible can mean instant execution. But Christians meet in secret and many Muslims seek Christ. Number two, Afghanistan, where Christians have to hide even after death. Islamic extremism is everywhere. Christians are buried as Muslims because their relatives would be punished. But people still meet Christ in dreams. Number one, North Korea, where leaders are worshipped like gods. There is no freedom. People live under constant surveillance. 50 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned. But in prisons and safe houses, North Koreans are coming to Christ. Open Doors exist to strengthen and support persecuted Christians, wherever they are and for as long as they need it. Through the gifts and prayers of Open Door supporters, our global underground networks are able to reach millions of Christians with food and medicine, spiritual care, smuggled Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. Homes are rebuilt, lives are rescued, churches restored. For over 60 years, Open Doors has stood with Christians whose faith puts them in danger, who dare to share Jesus no matter the cost. Because as Christians, we are family, one body, one church. And when your family is in danger, there's only really one question to ask. What will you do? What will you do? What a powerful and challenging question that is. And I want you to hold on to that question as I just finish by telling you about two people. And the first is this girl called Leah Sharibu. Leah lives in uh, a part of the world that was on that map, number 12 on the watch list, Nigeria. And the northern part of Nigeria is the most troubled place on earth to be a Christian in terms of violence. All kinds of atrocities happening to Christians almost uh, every single week. Um, Leah went to school one day with her classmates just two and a half years ago now. And at some point in the day, Boko Haram militants burst into the school and they kidnapped Leah with all of her classmates. And everybody feared the worst because uh, you might have heard of the Chibok girls that were taken about six years ago now. And there's still over a hundred of those girls missing. So there's a lot of pain for these parents. But what happened was remarkable. In a, a month later, we don't even know why, some trucks rolled back into the village. And on the trucks were all these girls. 
and word got out and all the families came running and you can just imagine the joy and the celebration as they were reunited together. But there was just one girl that was missing from the trucks and it was Leah. And what had happened is that as the girls were told they could go home and they were free to get on the trucks, there was just one condition and that is that they were Muslim. You had to be a Muslim to get on the truck. But if you were willing to convert, then that was okay. And Leah stood there and watched every single one of her classmates say this incantation and get on the trucks. And I can only imagine the turmoil inside her when it got to her turn. She said, I can't deny Jesus. And she had to watch those trucks leave and all of her classmates be released back into freedom. How can Leah be blessed? I guess the world would say Leah's anything but blessed. And there's no happy ending to Leah's story in a natural sense yet. But let me tell you, Leah's story hasn't ended. In fact, something remarkable happened. In all the melee, she was able to get a, a note to her mum via one of her classmates. And this is what she scribbled on her note. She said, and this is just this incredible. Bear in mind, she was 15 years old at the time. My mother, she said, you should not be disturbed. I know it's not easy missing me, but I want to assure you that I am fine where I am. My God is showing himself mighty in my trying moment. I know that God's very close to people in pain. I'm witnessing this now, but I'm confident I'll see your face again. If not here, then on that day when we meet our Lord. Do you know there's some real pain around Leah's story and I would ask you please pray for her. Pray for her mum and dad, her family, and Open Doors are doing what we can to support Leah's family and the Chibok families as well. But there's also something incredibly inspiring about this 15-year-old girl's decision. That lights a fire inside my soul. And again, it comes back to this recurring theme of no matter what life throws at us, we hold fast and we trust Jesus because why he's worth it. He's worth it. And there are two parts to the blessing that Jesus talks about in those verses in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the persecuted because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew uses this phrase, kingdom of heaven. The other gospels use the phrase kingdom of God. And for Matthew is Jewish, he didn't like using the name God. But the kingdom of God, what is it? It's very simply the place where God is king. Or in other words, the place where God is allowed to come and take control. When we trust God, especially in the tough times, especially when we go through things that we don't understand. And often in those deepest valleys, those are the times when he comes the closest. And maybe right now you're going through some stuff. I want to encourage you, reach out to God. Don't give up. Don't turn your back on him. Don't shut him out, but talk to him. Trust him, invite him to come near, ask him to give you the grace to go through it. And I believe that just as Jesus promised, you'll experience a deeper blessing than you could have ever imagined, whether it's persecution or just the troubles of life. But then Jesus makes another promise, doesn't he? He says, great is their reward in heaven. And this is where I want to bring it into land this morning. There is a reward, an inheritance God's word reminds us time after time, set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above. On that day where you're going to meet Jesus face to face and it's all going to be worth it. And hopefully we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Let me finish by telling you about one more lady. And it's it's a pastor's wife from Syria. And I read a letter that she wrote just recently. And she describes how difficult it is to be a Christian in Syria. And let me tell you, in Syria, Open Doors, uh, we partner with the church there to to run what we call centres of hope. And these centres have become the glue of their communities as Christian leaders and Christian communities basically feed vulnerable people and educate them and offer micro loans and just support people with trauma counselling and groups and children's youth ministry, ladies groups, or you imagine. And, 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 and these things are happening. And this lady and her husband run a church there in Syria. She describes how challenging it is. And she tells us about how they could have left Syria when the war began and they could have made a new life. They had family abroad. But she said, we felt God saying, stay. So she said in a letter, I asked God, what do you want me to do then, God? And she said, I expected him to say something big and important and courageous. But instead, she felt God ask her a question. Are you willing to die for me? She wrestled with it. For quite a while before eventually she knelt down and said, God, yes, I'm willing to lay down my life for you and for the work here in Syria. But the next night she felt God challenging her again, saying, what about your husband? Are you willing to lay him on that altar? This was far more difficult for her. But again, she got to the point where she could kneel and say, God, you can even have my husband. I trust you. But the final part of her challenge that she described is when she felt the night after God said to her, what about your children? That was totally different. It took this time her and her husband a few days of wrestling to get to the point where they knelt down in tears and cried out and said, God, please, we ask, don't allow our children to be taken. But even if the worst was to happen, Do you know what? We would still trust you. We will still follow you and we'll still serve you. And I remember thinking, how do you get to that point? Our daughter's six. How how do you get to that point? And there's a phrase in her letter that she uses that I think is the secret. And it's what I want to leave us with this morning. And she said this, she said six words. We talk about heaven a lot. And I realised that our dear sister's eyes are fixed on heaven. Her desire is fixed on not on the temporary things of life, not on the things that can't bring true satisfaction of the soul, but on heaven and on the God of heaven and our champion, Jesus Christ. And that is the secret, I think, of the blessing that Jesus mentioned comes to the persecuted. It's not a complicated blessing. It's such a simple one. It's Jesus, the blessing of knowing God and knowing that we're going to spend eternity with him. And so I'm, I'm pretty much through, but I just want to land this by, by saying this morning that I hope these stories and, and these, this video and map have helped to connect you and make you feel a little bit closer to your persecuted family. But that video finished with a powerful question. I just want to revisit. What will you do? What will you do? You might be watching this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe you've heard these stories about these people who are willing to go through all of this because they say Jesus is worth it. And you're thinking, who is this Jesus and why is he worth it? I just want to encourage you, if you've got those questions, if you want to know more about what it is to follow Jesus, please get in touch with the church. 
in light of these powerful examples, what will you do? And maybe you've been walking this journey with Jesus for a while, but maybe you've been struggling, torn between the desires of this life and this world and what you want and between this desire that you have deep down to follow God. Let me encourage you this morning, right now, there's an opportunity for you to make a decision. Do you know what? Right now I'm drawing a line in the sand. God, I want to follow you more faithfully, just like my brothers and sisters are doing. God, I want to trust you even when I don't understand. And I want to choose to live all out for Jesus. Again, encourage you, if you want somebody to pray that through with you or talk to, get in touch with the church. And finally, if you were watching that video and there's a desire in you to do something to help, support, encourage, stand with your persecuted family. Really simply, there are three things that as a ministry we encourage our supporters to do. To pray. Brother Andrew said our prayers can go where we can't. There's no borders, no prison walls or doors that are not open to us when we pray. You can sign up to um, Open Doors prayer email to go to the website to find that. You can connect with social media platforms. Our team are putting out inspirational stuff all the time. Will you pray? Second thing, will you support? Will you give? If you want to find out more about how to do that, you can visit the Open Doors website. But our persecuted family need our practical support. And then finally, will you share? Will you become more informed? Go and check out, if you've got time, the Open Doors World Watch List. It's an interactive map on the website. You hover over a country and it tells you about how you can pray and what Christians are going through. And then share with other people. Let me finish by praying for us this morning. Father, Lord, we just want to thank you. Lord, just for the words of Scripture that, Lord, we, you want us to be blessed. You want us to live that blessed and happy life. And Lord, we're reminded that it isn't the things of this world that often bring that happiness, Father, but it is just knowing you and trusting you. Lord, I just thank you for the example of the persecuted church, the example of our brothers and our sisters, Lord, who pay such a high cost for following you. And they inspire us to want to do the same. So, Lord, my prayer this morning is for my brothers and sisters, whatever they're experiencing whatever season of life they're in, whatever challenges they're going through, I pray that you will come close to them right now. Lord, that each of us will just make a decision to take a step closer to you. And Father, I just pray for our persecuted family. I pray that as a result of this morning, Lord, that they will receive more strength, more prayer. I pray, Lord, that you will stir our hearts to do more, to really and truly suffer when they suffer to remember them as if it were us. Father, we just thank you and pray your blessing upon each and every one watching. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.